Cool. I uh, think we're live. So uh, thank you so much, Lucas. Uh, super excited to chat about everything that you're working on at uh, Gito Labs and uh, what you're building. I think this was uh, one of the most requested podcast episodes. Uh, so excited to finally get uh, to chat and uh, kind of hear your story and all the good things that your team's working on. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Very cool. Uh, so uh, one thing that I think you and I have like a unique background on uh, just to start the conversation was Tesla. Uh, I know you did an internship there uh, working on uh, the Model X and I would just love to kind of get your quick experience on thoughts at working at Tesla and <laughs> kind of the learning lessons from that. Um, yeah, that's, I think it's, there's a, a lot of like Silicon Valley startups look sexy from the outside and you think they have their stuff together and then you show up and you're like oh this is like chaos i think that was kind of my introduction there um <clears throat> super cool place to work uh worked on the like model x falcon wing doors anything that like moves or lights up on that car so <laughs> like the second row that car was just like super fancy uh way over engineered but yes. uh super cool um yeah, I was saying earlier, like it's the biggest startup that I've worked at. Just everything's always on fire. Everyone's super moving super fast, but uh, everyone like loved it there. You know, they they did a good job hiring people that were like super passionate. And yep. I think um, that's definitely important when you're like building a startup, find people that are super passionate and work hard. I fully agree. Yeah, it, it was a unique experience for sure. Uh, you definitely learned a lot and uh always lots of fire drills, but uh, that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, awesome to kind of get your perspective. Maybe uh, to start off the conversation, I would love for you just to maybe touch a little bit more on like your background as an engineer um, and then kind of your like quick journey and how you got interested in crypto and blockchain. Yeah, so um, so you computer engineering, Carnegie Mellon, uh, always just kind of interested in like computers, things that like move or light up. Um, so kind of went down this like firmware and embedded systems path. So, you know, embedded systems are like working on things like AirPods or uh, just like small microprocessors, things like that. Um, so yeah, I guess like working at Tesla was a super cool experience, worked on some really hard stuff, things that moves or light up uh just like right up my alley um got into like consulting for a bit so kind of like a drop-in hardware team for mm. teams that didn't know how to build hardware um so you know writing anything from like bare metal c to working on like real-time operating systems to uh like an amazon alexa type device that had voice recognition um so yeah, kind of just got like exposure to a bunch of different stuff, worked on like 10 different products in a year, kind of just had to like learn super fast about different domains of computer science, computer engineering, anything from like programming Python to like getting out oscilloscopes and like probing spy lines to figure out why this LED won't turn on. Yeah. Um, that kind of led me to uh, this company called Built Robotics um they are trying to solve construction labor shortages um through automation so basically uh the first i think it was the second week i was there we bought uh like a three hundred thousand dollar fifty thousand pound bulldozer well wow. it's like okay figure out how to like hook into it and control it <laughs> so uh did everything from like ripping apart the cab to figure out how the joysticks work you know it's like pwm this duty cycle uh this frequency to like okay let's hook an arduino into it and get like an xbox controller and kind of like drive the bulldozer with my xbox controller mm -hmm. to like sourcing sensors hardware writing the robotics controls for it all that that's awesome um wild wild times <laughs> yeah. how is it uh driving that with an xbox controller uh it's pretty scary especially when you're not in the cab yeah. Uh, they took safety very seriously. So like there was several layers of safety and we had a East, uh, remote East op for it, but 
nice. you know, it's super cool to, it's like being a big kid. So how'd you go it. from kind of a lot of more focus on the hardware aspects um, and kind of that front to getting more into like the software and uh, blockchains? Yeah, so I think I, I discovered uh, crypto and blockchain in like towards the end of the 2017 cycle. Mm -hmm. It was like Litecoin, Verge, Bitcoin, <laughs> Ethereum. <laughs> Wild times back then. Yeah, like stuff was going up like 2x in a day. I was like, yeah. oh, this is cool. <laughs> um, it's cool until I lost all my money <laughs> yeah. and uh, held it down. Um, but, you know, kind of stayed, stayed in the... Uh, in the know like on twitter um through like 2019 2020 saw DeFi start to pick up um got into that a little bit the uh the moment when i decided to switch from just being like a speculator to like a builder was uh, i read dan robinson's dark forest article yeah so it's talking about like ethereum's mempool is a dark forest and kind of how they were trying to like white hat hack uh, some funds that were lost. And there was a bot that like kind of front run them. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just going over like all the MEV stuff happening on Ethereum. So I was like, oh, this is super cool. Um, and I think I started like working on a MEV bot that night. Um, Crazy. So then, yeah, I stayed up to like work, worked my day job and then stay up to like two or three in the morning on this bot. And that's kind of when I got hooked into uh, like coding on blockchains. And was that first kind of bot implementation on Ethereum? Yeah, it was. And ultimately, uh, now Judo Labs is more focused on like the Solana front. What what kind mm -hmm. of learnings did you have from creating that first bot on ETH? And what ultimately kind of inspired you to like uh, after, after building it, that this was something that you wanted to do full time. Uh, yeah. So I guess the learnings, like I had mainly been in like embedded systems and robotics before that. So just like learning how to run infrastructure, how to set up this like automated trading system, uh, how to like monitor the mempool, uh, like what kind of strategies people are running. Um, it was just like a really good learning experience to kind of just dive into something different yeah. and figure out how to uh, make it work. Um, and then, sorry, what was the second question? Uh, uh, kind of like, like the, yeah, like the learnings from like building on ETH and maybe even like touching upon like Solidity or how uh, that worked. Uh, and then yeah. maybe after that, like, I think uh, one thing, uh, MEV more holistically is kind of a very technical topic. And a lot of people I would say are still trying to wrap their heads around it. So uh, yeah. maybe kind of just like wrap up kind of your learnings and then go into what is MEV, uh, why it matters. And I think I, I saw some of your recent tweets uh, going back and forth with people saying uh, MEV is gravity. <laughs> and I agree. Uh, but like describe <laughs> yeah. kind of like uh, that thought process as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I didn't, I kind of just put together the bare minimum bot on Ethereum. I didn't really understand solidity. It was kind of like right as Flashbots was taking off. So some of this, uh, being super, super gas efficient wasn't, uh, absolutely necessary like it mm -hmm. is today. Um, but then, yeah, I got into, I did the Solana hackathon, got into MEV through that. Nice. Um, or sorry, uh, I did something completely different from MEV and then kind of saw what was happening with Flashbots, the success that they had, uh, just reducing gas prices and like the congestion on Ethereum, uh, kind of saw what was happening on BSC and Polygon and then came up with the idea for Gito Labs, kind of had this theory that it would, the same things would start to happen to Solana. Yeah. I think we've seen that come true. Um, and then, yeah, I guess like on MEV, so uh, MEV is maximum extractable value. Uh, I saw like yesterday, there's a few other 
ways that people are phrasing it as well. But basically, yeah. it's like your power as a block producer to insert, reorder, censor transactions to profit. Um, so on, you know, some differences uh, on like Ethereum MEV and Solana, Solana MEV. Um, I guess there's like a few obvious things like Solana doesn't have a mempool. Yeah. Um, basically, transactions go from your wallet to RPC server, and then it looks at the leader schedule. It's like, oh, Logan's the leader now, and then uh, Anatoly is the next leader. So I'm going to send it to those two and uh, wait for it to confirm. Um, the next one is like throughput and latency. Like, you know, Solana is very fast very low latency yeah. uh, slot times are 400 milliseconds and you might be in Germany and uh, for, you know, the, the current slots and then you'll be in like New York the next and then Miami and you're kind of just like bouncing around the world every 1.6 seconds. Yeah. Um, it is pretty impressive how quickly uh, they've been able to, uh, well, one, the block times, but then also uh, on the latency front, uh, it's very impressive yeah. what Solana has been able to achieve. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's a crazy piece of engineering, especially for uh, it's been like two or three years at this point. Yeah, so. um, maybe uh, kind of continue on the topic of just like more holistically MEV and kind of why you wanted to specifically focus on this, uh, like the MEV problem. Um, and then we can talk about more uh, the Solana MEV problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to focus on it because it's just like very, uh, I feel like it's the, like an area that I feel like there's constantly more to learn in. Yep. Um, I just like learning about things and especially like complex engineering things. Uh, so it's kind of just like that curiosity that got me hooked. Um, and then also like, after participating in the Solana hackathon and like building something on there, um, I just realized like how much of a better experience it is than Ethereum. Yeah. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to see that succeed. Like, mm -hmm. and I, I want to continue to see that succeed and like have, uh, have it so that everyone has like a good user experience. I fully agree. I, I think, I mean, it's been interesting just kind of watching the progression of blockchains over time. Uh, and I think what now is interesting to me is getting kind of that user adoption. And I think personally to have that continue to actually grow and get people like interacting with smart contracts, you kind of have to have that web two like experience because that's what people are used to um, while maintaining kind of like the censorship resistant pieces and decentralization, but keeping that yeah. high uh, kind of performance. And so I'm, I'm very interested and I, I really do like Solana's design just because I think they've optimized for the correct things. Um, so it's very cool. Maybe, to um yeah talk about why or like what is the state of kind of mev on solana um and why you've decided to focus kind of Gito labs and the engineering efforts um on mev there yeah so um the state of mev on solana uh we have an mev dashboard it's on our website uh wtf and uh, there we collect stats on like what's going on in Solana. So um, if you look there, um, I think the it's like over 99% of liquidation attempts fail. It's like 98 to 99% of arbitrage attempts fail. Um, during like very high volatility times, there's a significant portion of the block space that's dedicated to those transactions. Mm -hmm. And and why do a majority uh, fail? Is that because other people are also attempting to liquidate certain things? Yeah. So it's kind of just like a spam game. Like, um, <laughs> you know, Labs is doing a lot to fix this. And I'm like extremely optimistic on quick and fee markets to kind of fix this. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the fees are so cheap right now that, um, 
you know, there's not really a penalty for uh, failing transactions. For sure. Like on Ethereum, if you're trying to land an arbitrage, you basically need to cover the price of gas, which is like $50. Yeah. So if you're constantly failing $50, that's going to add up very fast. For sure. Uh, Solana, you know, it's like a hundredth or a thousandth of a penny, whatever mm -hmm. it is today. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, that's kind of like the state of Solana. Uh, Quick is like being rolled out now. There's a lot of validators that are running Quick, and that will help kind of give some back pressure to mm -hmm. bots. So basically, if they start, uh, if they exceed their allowed throughput, you can kind of tell them to back off or disconnect them. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, I think the fee markets will help a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, but I think there's still this like need for very fine grained transaction ordering that essentially like flashbots introduced with bundles. Mm -hmm. So that's um, that's kind of what we're focusing on with all the stuff that we're working on is uh, more flexibility on the transaction ordering to basically make the whole thing, the whole chain run more efficiently. Very cool. Yeah, I'm very excited for the network updates as well. I think uh, kind of the innovation of doing fees per contract versus the global fee markets is a massive one. Uh, as I've talked with other kind of layer one protocol architects, they're very interested in implementing this design as well because I think, I mean, holistically, it just designs a much better user experience. Um, and honestly, just makes sense as you're kind of pricing resources accordingly. Um, but very cool. Yeah. I, I think uh, maybe one thing uh, that we could also touch upon is why is like the no mempool uh, important in Solana versus like, I mean, I think I'm not sure of any other blockchains today that do not have a mempool. What, what about that functionality makes it unique? Um, so yeah, I guess it, it's unique in the sense that, um, if your transaction doesn't like, basically you, there's no like uh pool to send things to. And, uh, so it, it adds some layers where each layer is kind of responsible for potentially retrying that transaction mm -hmm. to land it. Um, I think that like a mempool would be very, very hard to build at this throughput. And it's also super inefficient um, given how fast Solana is moving. Yeah. Um, like it wouldn't really make sense to uh, have this mempool that every node on the network has for, especially when there's a lot of transaction activity. Um, there is this like, kind of, it's kind of like, uh, you know, there's no global mempool, but you could almost view it like a rolling mempool where like um, RPC servers and like wallets are sending transactions to the current leader in the next three. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have this like sliding window mempool, um, which seems to be like way more efficient than the global mempool. Definitely. And was this kind of, I mean, again, the main uh was was the main reason again for building on solana was just kind of that user experience or was it more just like the technical novelties that the design enabled uh i would say all of it like the user experience is amazing um i think that it has probably the highest chance of onboarding the most people so from that standpoint like we want to see it succeed yeah and Obviously, it's like extremely technical. Uh, you know, we've we spent uh, almost a year at this point, like building our system. So it's not a, it wasn't like a trivial thing to to work yeah. on, which is fun for an engineer like me. Yeah, for um, sure. And, and then there's also a lot of like uh, interesting like DeFi composability that you can do on Solana that I think isn't possible in other chains. I fully agree. Maybe uh, to touch upon two things there, uh, you mentioned kind of the slots uh, and kind of like the one and a half seconds or so uh, of yeah. like the single mempool. Could you talk upon that? And I think you did briefly about how those kind of move about 
worldwide and kind of those pros and cons of that and then touch upon like the composability aspect as well um yeah so the mempool or the i guess the like moving mempool um essentially what happens like when you let's say you're on like orca or uh some other solana dap you uh do your interaction you sign the transaction that transaction is then sent to an rpc server that RPC server is like keeping track of time. Mm. So it knows what the current slot is. It knows the leader schedule. So essentially what happens is it looks at the leader schedule and the current time. It's like, okay, who are the next three validators or who are the next four validators? And it sends that transaction to those four validators. Um, so those four validators, the current one will attempt to process it. If it doesn't, the second one will attempt to process it and so on. Um, you also have the, the validators are like forwarding. If it doesn't process those transactions, it'll forward them to the next validator in line. Mm-hmm. Um, so between all that, like you get pretty high reliability on transaction, uh, transaction being included. Um, so yeah, I think that that is like way more efficient than, you know, you're only sending to like four validators or however many the kind of look ahead is. Mm-hmm. So it's it's way more efficient than um, sending it to like every single validator on the network. Yeah, no, it's it's very clever. Uh, Anatoly uh, ultimately wrote the I think eight medium posts uh, about kind of the key innovations of Solana's design. And I've read all of them multiple times. And every time I go back and reread them, I feel like I learned something new and just how clever the engineering actually was. Uh, so it, it's very cool to hear them in your words. Um, and then kind of, I think one of the other novel aspects just about Solana, and then we can kind of uh, touch upon like some of the things that make it uh, a little bit more or get into a little bit more of the technical stuff and then kind of uh, go into how uh, Judo Labs is kind of ultimately working within that um is the composability aspect and all the unique things that kind of building on a single shard with high throughput and low latency enables so in your words could you kind of talk about what composability is in your eyes and uh how you're kind of thinking about it yeah um composability is just like the interactions between different DeFi protocols and how you can essentially build on top of them to uh, do like complex things or uh, potentially simple things from the user standpoint, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes that is kind of abstracted away. Um, I think another unique thing about Solana is um, the transaction format and how transactions have multiple instructions inside of them. Mm-hmm. And so like you can imagine like on Ethereum, if you want to compose transactions, you have to uh, there's you potentially have to like write a lot of on-chain code to compose those things. Yeah. Um, so you have like your main function that you're calling and then it kind of calls into like multiple protocols uh, as it's being executed on Solana. Like you can just pull that out into instructions mm-hmm. and do it in your transaction. So it's like kind of like uh, each transaction is like kind of like a bundle, like a, a bundle in a sense where you kind of have these things that are being executed sequentially. Um, I think the cool thing about that is uh, if you're a, if you're an application developer, like you don't, really have to write any code on chain to do anything like to take advantage of of the composability yeah like you're kind of just calling instructions like you know swapping something on orca to uh like depositing in mango like you don't really have to write any on-chain code to do that like you're kind of just building a list of instructions um yeah i think that's super cool i agree i'm I'm personally extremely excited kind of for the single shard architecture 
uh, I think a couple other blockchains will eventually do it as well. But just all the unique things that composability ultimately will enable. Uh, I think today we're still in the very early days and like exploring those primitives. Uh, but yeah. as kind of like these applications continue to mature over time, how they start to compose within each other, I think will be fascinating and really kind of the secret sauce that uh, holds the network together. Yeah, definitely. I think the uh, the whole like L2 and cross-chain experience, uh, I think it's going to be like today, It's I think it's pretty hard for a user to figure that out. Yeah, I'm optimistic. You know, there's a ton of smart people working in that space, and hopefully, they abstract it away from the user. Um, but I think, from like a user standpoint, if everything's just on the same chain, it's like way easier to think about. Definitely, um, I fully and agree. then way easier to compose, like you said. Definitely, awesome. Uh, maybe just to touch on a couple other of kind of Solana's innovations, and then we'll jump into Jito is. Uh, turbine kind of like how they stream blocks uh what are your thoughts on like each of those from the technology perspective and what they enable yeah so um turbine is like solana's block propagation it um the way of thinking about it is like uh like Ethereum will emit, essentially emits, in every blockchain that I know of, essentially emits the entire block at the end of the slot. Mm-hmm. Solana, it's like constantly streaming blocks out. Uh, and they call them shreds. So essentially you have this like pipeline where it's like you receive the transaction, it, signature, it does signature verification, like deduplicates it, executes it, adds it to proof of history, and then uh, basically breaks it up into uh, packet-sized chunks and then sends it out to the rest of the network. Mm-hmm. And this is like constantly going on. Um, so like you can, the really cool thing is that like other validators will start replaying that slot, like mid, they'll start re- start replaying that slot midstream. Yeah. So like, you know, if, if you're a leader right now, you're streaming out slot 100, I can be like, a few mills, like tens to hundred or two hundred milliseconds behind you in the same slot. Yeah. Um, so I'm not waiting for the very end to like replay everything. Um, yeah, Turbine, I, I think is fascinating, and I, I, the only blockchain today that I know of that is doing kind of unique data propagation outside of the gossip protocol. And I've been yeah. trying to find like other blockchains that do something similar, and it's just been hard to hard to do that um but I, I think it's super unique kind of piggybacking uh off uh what is the protocol that it's based on uh BitTorrent um uh I'm not sure I I think it's <laughs> I think it's BitTorrent and just like how they seed information but the fact that they're able to continuously stream data like just gets me super excited uh the fact that like there are no pauses uh every bl- every block is streamed in real time and that's just a continuous process uh just seems like how ultimately going forward these systems should be designed and there's never like a pause in between things it's just continuous data uh and validation going forward yeah it's uh pretty crazy when you think about that and then the fact that uh you know you might be in like frank for one second and then you're in tokyo and then Mm -hmm. new york yeah. like all within the span of like five seconds and it's just this like never-ending stream of stuff it's mm-hmm. uh super cool definitely um and how does that kind of affect like rolling back state for different bundles um and yeah like blocks more holistically so yeah we uh we're focused mainly on rolling back state for bundles um so and can you also uh, just like describe bundles as well? I think you did, but maybe yeah. like a little bit deeper. So uh, yeah, bundles are a list of, uh, it's like a set of transactions that you want to execute sequentially, atomically. Uh, so sequentially meaning like in order, atomically meaning like all or nothing. And um, they only get committed if they all ex- succeed. Mm-hmm. So if we run into at least the current state you know, we can change that in the future, but that's the way that things are currently coded. So essentially, uh, 
you know, if you have uh, three transactions and the second one fails, it uh, will just roll back the entire thing and uh, finish executing. So uh, some good use cases for bundles, like, um, you know, if you're if you're using Orca or some other DAP on Solana and you run into the transaction limit, mm-hmm. the user experience kind of like leaves something to, like there's room for improvement on that user experience. So uh, by using bundles, you could essentially sign both transactions and send them through our system to a Jita Solana validator. And that validator will just execute those in a row and commit them uh, to proof of history. Um, so that's like one good use case. A good use case for like searchers is like atomic arbitrage. Mm-hmm. So and what are know, the searchers doing? Uh, for when they're like building bundles. Okay, so or, I'll, I'll, I, I'm just asking like more holistically, like what is a searcher? What is its role? What is it application? Oh, yeah. I, I think a lot of people are like super <laughs> interested in MEV, and obviously, I yeah. mean, you guys have thought extremely <laughs> hard about this and have spent a long time like setting up the engineering process. But maybe like even like backing up further on yeah. like what is like the like maybe step by step of like what's happening in Gito Labs um, from like the technology perspective, just so people can like follow along with like your thought stream. Yeah, so I guess I'll start at the top. So uh, MEV searcher is essentially um, someone that's searching for these opportunities to make money. So that can be like arbitrage, liquidations, um, minting NFTs, whatever it may be, where they mm-hmm. think that they can make money. Um, and I think that uh, they're like extremely critical for blockchains to function, like these high frequency traders. They keep all the prices in line, make sure that protocols are solvent and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now in Solana, you know, we kind of went over this earlier. It's kind of uh, like there's like a latency race. So basically you have... Uh, validators that are like sharing their turbine streams with RPC servers, kind of like skipping multiple hops to get low latency access. And uh, people are like tuning their RPC servers to make them run faster. And it's basically like who can get who can get processed first. Um, this results in like a lot of wasted block space that we talked about earlier. So essentially what we're trying to do at Gito is build more efficient infrastructure to kind of enable MEV, Mm -hmm. uh, like more efficient, make it happen more efficiently, uh, make the network run smoother, help it scale. And then also uh, it's super important that MEV is distributed to stakers as well. Uh, So we've built all that, all that infrastructure. Awesome. Maybe uh, going a little bit deeper into that, how does MEV more holistically help like increase the performance of the network? Um, wh- I think one aspect that's unique is like it's uh, basically incentivizing node operators to upgrade their requirements uh, to mm-hmm. kind of help process more transaction and more throughput. But I'd be curious in your words, how does it make the network better? Um, and why do you describe yeah. it like gravity? Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I described it like gravity because it's like uh, inherent, like you can't get rid of MEV and distributed mm-hmm. systems like like blockchains. It's just kind of like a property that exists. And um, yeah, you just can't like, I know uh, Kyle was kind of shitposting there, <laughs> but um, I was shitposting back at him. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you can't really get rid of gravity. Yeah. Um, like you can't really get rid of MEV. Um, I think, you know, MEV, it's important to like, I think it's um, it's important for like dApps to minimize the MEV that they expose their users to. It's like, you know, when you go on Uniswap, you set your slippage too high or Orca, it's like you might get front run. Like there needs to be a lot of that happening on uh, front ends for people that don't necessarily know what MEV is. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so that they have a good user experience. Um, but everything else like, you know, MEV is impossible to get rid of. So for everything else, like we should efficiently extract it. Mm-hmm. And I think it needs to be distributed to stakers. Um, I think it's a good way to encourage more people to stake and secure the network. And then it also um, provides like a little extra revenue to validator operators. 
So it has the potential, like you said, for them to potentially have more money to upgrade their hardware so that they can process more transactions to um, to like bringing more net, bringing more validators online as mm -hmm. well. Um, so you know, if you're if you're making a little extra more money, you need less stake to break even. You can spend more money on your operations. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and I, mm -hmm. I like the point of view of being able to distribute that back to, uh, stakers. Uh, I think yeah. if, if you are able to optimize something, uh, and other people are able to contribute to kind of that vision, uh, everybody is kind of aligned and incentivized to push that forward while making the network, mm -hmm. uh, healthier, uh, pretty cool idea. Yeah. That's like super important to us. Um, you know, these users are helping secure the, the chain and they're all also like users of the chain and um like we believe that that should be distributed to them for sure and, um i think that they will use it to like stake more solana as well definitely um which increases the the uh security and decentralization of the network for sure um and one thing that you mentioned was kind of uh today because the network doesn't have uh fees by contract um some of the block space can just get flooded uh fees per contract will ultimately get implemented on solana hopefully that reduces some of the spam um i think you both uh, we both are aligned on that but how does mev specifically kind of use block space more efficiently because block space i think more broadly on every blockchain is kind of that scarce or valuable resource. Um, how does yeah. MEV plan to uh, use it more efficiently? Um, yeah, I guess the, like, the, I guess MEV will always be there. It's just about how do you capture it and how, how efficient is that process? So, you know, right now it's kind of this like game where, uh, you see an update, I see an update 10 milliseconds later and so on. And all these people kind of just send transactions. They all get there at different times. And that's kind of how you end up with this wasted block space. Um, ultimately, I think it's because there's like this aspect of like probabilistic ordering mm -hmm. where you don't necessarily know if you're first to respond or not. Um, and you know the ordering you want, like I want to if I see uh, some opportunity to create an arbitrage, I want to be directly behind that. So the system that we built with like bundles in our block engine lets high frequency traders and searchers be very granular about what ordering they want. Mm -hmm. And we will kind of take care of uh, the simulation, making sure that people are paying the most for some set of state and only sending things that succeed. So like right now, you know, you might see an arbitrage and then like 100 milliseconds later you see a ton of packets come through that it, once the first one succeeds off the rest fail yeah uh we're, we're offering like a essentially guaranteed ordering and atomic ordering as well so you can see that packet come through submit a bundle with that arbitrage and um we'll essentially like make sure that it pays the most and submit that one to the validator and then the rest uh won't make it to the chain very interesting so there should be like one one transaction that creates arbitrage one that captures it and mm -hmm. then that's like the most efficient version awesome but maybe that's kind of a good jumping off point into kind of what you're more building at Gito labs and some of the products you're offering um so yeah. could we go into kind of uh what you're working on at Gito and uh, some of the things that you're excited about today yeah yeah we've been super busy so uh excited to kind of talk more about some of this stuff yeah um so yeah we have uh i guess our our big thing is like Gito solana so this is a fork of Solana Labs validator client. Mm -hmm. um, and that unlocks a few things. It unlocks transaction bundles that we were talking about earlier. Um, it unlocks, uh, there's like some MEV tip payment and tip distribution code in there, which I can get to in a bit. And then it also unlocks um, connections to like relayers, which I'll get into in a sec as well. Cool. Um, so... 
yeah, we've added a few thousand lines of code. Uh, we have like our own transaction execution pipeline that allows you to like execute these things and potentially rollback state. And then we also like change proof of history so that you can essentially uh, batch write uh, bundles to proof of history. Interesting. So you can imagine a situation where like you're at the very, very end of your slot, you have like five things to write and you only have enough time to write four of those. You don't want to commit the first four and like leave the fifth one out. Like you just want to drop the entire thing. So yep. we kind of have all that stuff to make sure that the entire thing is shared with the rest of the network. So the rest of the network doesn't even know that stuff's being rolled back. It's just being handled internally. Very, very cool. So is this uh, going to be the third client on Solana? Uh, the Solana yes. client, Fire yeah. Dancer, and Judo, uh, Judo uh, yeah. Solana? Yep. Very cool. Yeah, uh, that's yeah awesome, we're super man. excited. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, um, hopefully uh, <laughs> between uh, all three of those, uh, we'll have less downtime going forward. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of like been our baby for the past like few months. Uh, we've gotten an audit and then we're just doing another like double check audit right mm -hmm. now. So we should be releasing that very, very soon. Awesome. Uh, we just want to make sure that, you know, it's very scary to <laughs> release something like that. And yep. uh, Solana is like very complex technically. So we want to make sure that we release it and we're very, very comfortable about the uh, reliability of it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, th that's Geo Solana. Uh, we also have a relayer. Um, the relayer will essentially work with Geo Solana. So you can run, uh, it's essentially like a TPU proxy, TPU's okay. transaction processing unit. So uh, validators gossip out, hey, like here's my IP, here's my port, here's where you send transactions to. Um, and, uh, you know, when there's a lot of volatility or a lot of MEV going on, they kind of just get slammed with packets. Mm -hmm. So we essentially added this relayer where you can run it on a different server and it does the, it uh, works with UDP and the quick that's being rolled out. It runs the filtering, SIG verify, all that stuff. Um, and then it will forward those packets to the validator. So it's kind of like a, um, it's just like a proxy that does some filtering and things, but it mm -hmm. also plays a core piece of our block engine and the, uh, like the mempool stream that we have. And, so and essentially for the oh, vast majority ahead. of people, could you also just explain like what a relayer is and what it does? Um, yeah, so I guess this relayer is like a little bit different than the flashbots relayer. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can think of it like a proxy. So essentially we're putting uh, the relayer in front of the validator. And instead of the validator receiving those packets first, the relayer does. So the relayer, it lets you run the same algorithms on the validator to kind of filter packets and things like that and deal with all potential uh, like spam and stuff like that to a different server. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, and it also plays a core piece of our block engine as well. So um, packets will essentially hit the relayer. Uh, they get forwarded to the block engine mm -hmm. and the relayer keeps those packets in there for super short amount of time, like less than a blink of an eye. Um, and that that time is how much searcher, that time is how much time searchers have to submit bundles and give our system the time it needs to like figure out what's the most profitable uh, bundles to submit. And then after that short amount of time, the relayer automatically forwards it to the validator. So this is like a very censorship resistant way to uh, design the system. Like we, like us and any future people that use the system will not be able to censor transactions. So it's just kind of like removing that whole uh, potential area of like FUD and even the ability to like do that as well. Interesting. Very cool. Um, and the block builder is kind of what you ultimately submit um, as your bundle to 
um, to kind of uh, the leader node and uh, trying to get that included uh, to be validated by the rest of the network. Yeah, so the, the block engine is like, a, it's like the interface between validators and searchers. So searchers can connect there. Um, you can subscribe to pending transactions there and transactions at the relayer send over are forwarded to searchers. Searchers can then bundle stuff up submit bundle uh we do like a ton of simulation mm -hmm. so basically trying to we run a bunch and we also run like a bunch of parallel state auctions as well so you know because of the trend solana transaction format you know the read and write locks yep. that a transaction holds so you can actually run these auctions in parallel interesting so like uh you know someone's trading on Sol usdc on orca can be executed at the same time like there's no dependencies between that and like btc usdc on orca yeah so we can like basically kind of split up all these auctions and run them in parallel and simulate uh to figure out who pays the most for some given set of state very um, cool and that's a very hard problem because we're yeah. also trying to simulate we're doing all that and the stream thing that i was talking about is like the uh like the shreds are constantly being streamed and the RPC servers are constantly trying to replay and like be as close to the tip of the network as possible. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to simulate on that state. Um, so it's a very, very hard problem to work on. <laughs> I bet, yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. super curious just over the long term too, how, how the hardware continues to progress as more data gets submitted to nodes. Uh, yeah <laughs> so it's uh it's definitely a hard engineering problem but i appreciate uh what the Jito labs team is doing to uh be at the forefront of that um and again just super excited by uh, what you're doing with the Jito client uh yeah that's, that's super exciting thanks yeah we've uh we've worked a lot on it and um a lot of those changes like we want to get it into upstream as well it's mm -hmm. so, like some of the replay stuff that i was working on like a few weeks ago, we want to get that into Solana Labs client because that will just massively like increase the throughput of those validators. Um, so we're definitely like extremely dedicated to our own client, but also like getting things into Labs client as well. Contributing back to the ecosystem. Yeah, um, for sure. Awesome. No, it's uh, yeah. it's very exciting work. Uh, and I think a lot of people are fascinated by what you and the team are doing at Jito Labs and ultimately how it will help benefit the network. And uh, eventually, I mean, even with distributed staking, how they'll kind of earn money from uh, what you've been building there as well. So out of those like core three products, is there like any one specifically that the team is like focusing more on holistically or are they all kind of pretty intertwined with uh, the um, with the client, with the relayer and the block engine? Um, yeah, I'd say most stuff is working on the block engine and just like infra around that. Mm -hmm. So everything's running on bare metal. So there's like some unique challenges there. Uh, adding features to the block engine and kind of just like being able, uh, being able to like fluidly move from one thing to the other and figure out what the bottlenecks are and fix it. Um, and when you say bare metal, what does that mean for, uh, the, the people <laughs> watching? Yeah. Um, run your info on bare metal, especially if it's Solana. Uh, yeah. you'll see totally talk about that a lot. Bare metal is basically like you're not running on top of a virtual machine or, uh, any like virtualized environment. Like you are running on like Ubuntu that's running on the metal itself. Mm -hmm. And the reasons for not running on the virtual machine and just running on the actual hardware itself is just extra performance increases, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's like extra performance increases. And um, sometimes when you run on like VMs, you can run into situations where like you're sharing it with like, could be sharing a VM with like Google and mm -hmm. they're just like abusing it and yeah. kind of like taking away compute from your uh, the VM that you're running on. Cause you're like sharing, you're sharing the RAM and all the, the memory and SSDs with other people. So 
by running on bare metal it's like only you no virtualization and i'm curious on like what hardware you guys are running today to do all the like keeping at the tip of the network um and then as we continue i'd say to onboard more users where do you kind of see that progressing over time yeah um so we're in the process of moving to like the third gen amd chips mm -hmm. um so we found a, a good provider that has that um and those run way faster nice um so that will be pretty cool for just our entire system our validators, our PC servers, block engine. Um, as the network onboards more people, like you're gonna start to see, I think Fire Dancer and like the Jump Team. This is like their kind of like bread and butter. Like, yeah. you know, if you if you look at the Fire Dancer repo, it's like, what is this? Like, <laughs> it's super super low level. It's like kind of reminding me like of embedded systems I used to work on, where you are like working very close to the metal, like uh so i think you're gonna like continue to see that um and then you're also gonna continue to see uh people upgrade their servers to maybe the newest gen processors uh there's definitely a future where things go to like fpgas mm -hmm. more stuff running on gpus just these like dedicated uh programmable circuits that have one purpose in they do one thing very, very well. Yeah, I, I asked Holy this question as well to get his thoughts. He I, he said he was unsure about like FPGAs uh, and he said maybe GPUs, but he was like, he thinks uh, ultimately they'll kind of satisfy all the population with like a 512 core. Uh, he said 256, uh, but potentially 512. <laughs> and so okay. uh, what, are the, what are the AMD uh, core counts today? or the new ones that you guys are going to be working with? Um, I think they're like 32 core. 32. 64 thread. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess you could, uh, most people are running on like single core motherboards, mm -hmm. but they do have like dual core or even like quad core motherboards that you can get. The issue with those is the clock speeds are usually slower, so they can't yeah. keep up with proof of history. But there's certainly a world where uh, I think I could buy that if um, there might not be like the absolute need to run on FPGAs, mm -hmm. but um, I, something's definitely, something needs to change to get there. Yeah. Uh, software and hardware. Yeah. I, I definitely, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I see is that like Moore's law is kind of dead. I think in some sense it's true with like the clock speeds, but ultimately by adding additional cores, you still get kind of the extra performance increase. Uh, so I'm very excited to watch kind of the hardware progress, but also the software, uh, what you're building, what yeah. uh, Fire Dancer is building to kind of take advantage of those additional cores. So it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Fire Dancer team's doing really cool work with uh, just like, you know, they're very, very close to the metal. So, yeah. It, to me, it's cool surprising just, I mean, their goal of 10 gigabytes per second is just so more ambitious than I would say like any other of kind of more the legacy blockchain architectures like Ethereum um, that to me, it's just like a totally different world. Uh, but I'm excited that someone's trying to do something uh, yeah. as, as ambitious <laughs> as that. Yeah, I think... Uh... A lot of there's a lot of people that just kind of like wave their hands and they're like, oh, we need scaling, but yeah. or uh, like L2s and stuff like that. But um, I feel like we haven't hit the limit of what hardware can do. Exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot more to squeeze out from there before I would feel comfortable saying that we need to do this stuff. But. I fully agree. Um, yeah. No. Uh... I, the limits are, we're not even close. Uh, I would say we're just scratching yeah. the surface. And so it's uh, cool to uh, have uh, some blockchains attempts to uh, find those limits. Um, very cool. Uh, maybe touching a little bit more on uh, kind of the MEV distribution, like the tip payment um, and how you guys plan to distribute uh, kind of the MEV ver 
earnings uh, by the software that you've developed? Yeah, uh, super good question. Just like the thing that I think uh, a lot of stuff we talked about, it's like pretty technical and mm-hmm. maybe the, the average user cares or they don't, but I think the people will really care about this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we kind of have, we have these two on-chain programs. Uh, we call it like tip payment, tip distribution. Uh, tip payment lets you tip validators for uh, like essentially priority access to like transaction processing. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, there's eight accounts that you can tip. Uh, we did eight so that you can like potentially multi-thread or uh, have have multiple bundles executing in parallel that touch that state. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, what happens is. Uh, you know, people tip those eight program, those eight accounts. Uh, when the validator is done processing, the like when the validator is done with their slots, they transfer the money from there to this MEV or tip distribution program. And every validator has their own uh, tip distribution account per epoch. So like you'll have one for epoch 100 101 all of my own for 100 101 mm-hmm. so essentially like splits up the validators mev profits per epoch into the single account so then um from there we uh we have code running and we'll open source this that takes a snapshot of everything at the end of every epoch yeah so very less sl- slot in the epoch it will take a snapshot of all the stake accounts. And then we essentially generate like an airdrop for, uh, the software will generate an airdrop for each stake account that contains MEV. So, uh, you know, if you're staking to a validator running Geodo Solana, you will get an airdrop every epoch that contains your pro rata share of MEV on that validator. Nice. The validator can uh, take commission. Uh, so we have like a, open commission percentage that they can uh, set so you can kind of see what what other validators are taking and make stake decisions on that and then um, the validator can like upload their own airdrop or they can delegate it to others so like we'll be running this code uh if they don't like if they want to do it themselves or they don't trust someone to do it they can do it themselves um and we tried to like design this in a way so that the validators like don't have to touch the money at all. I'm curious over the long term uh, with this additional benefit and kind of money that you're returning to the people, uh, what percentage of like market share I think <laughs> do you think you'll get to with like Gito Solana uh, just as validators kind of opting in for this additional uh, kind of attribute that you're providing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I mean, I hope a hundred percent. That'd be pretty wild. Yeah, uh, that would be that would be pretty cool. But I think that like this, so, these systems will work with Fire Dancer. Okay, they'll That's work with question. like we can we can port this into Labs Validator mm-hmm. and like pull out the critical pieces of our system, like the connections to relayers and block engines and stuff like that. Um, so there's no reason that like it just has to be our client running it. We're kind of just like a added layer on top so makes sense um very cool hopefully fire dancer will use this um and yeah hopefully we get to like most of the network running it because i think that um there's a really good article by uh someone at reciprocal ventures it's called mpsv it's like mm-hmm. mev profit sharing validators and i think we definitely like buy into that thesis that there's going to be uh, competition for validators that share the most MEV. Um, you're kind of seeing this with validators like running with zero commission or yeah. some are like modifying the voting code to get better voting performance. So they show up at the top for mm-hmm. like, they're, uh, they're earning more money for their stakers. And I think that you're going to see this with MEV too. So you think that's kind of like the end goal for uh, node software and like return in terms of um, like providing back that value uh, to yeah. to to uh, the stakers. Yeah, exactly. 
I think it's uh, I think it's really healthy for the network too. Yeah. No, it's very exciting. Uh, lots of cool yeah. things that you and your team are working on. I mean, obviously <laughs> it's super technical, but uh, I'm glad that uh, you guys are doing it. Um, it's definitely much needed and uh, I think ultimately healthy for the network, healthy for the users, and just being able to align all those incentives to kind of push the space forward um, is fabulous. Um, I know you guys are pretty focused on Solana today. Uh, I think taking kind of the more pinpointed view on doing like a single chain is unique in the space uh, versus like a lot of applications are trying to do multi-chain. Do you guys have plans ultimately to explore different chains? Or are you guys just going to double down with Solana because of its unique attributes and high probability of scaling? Uh, we're definitely like 100% focused on Solana um, for now in the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely, there's a lot of work to do on Solana. Uh, we love like the community and the Solana team. And nice. we, uh, we well. want to see, <laughs> we want to see the, the network succeed. Um, I do think that there's like a possible, I, th I think we will expand to other chains at some point in like the far future. Mm -hmm. It's not super clear to me what those chains are yep. and how long it will take. Um, I think it's just kind of inevitable that we do it. Um, but like we can't, we, we have to stay focused on Solana right now. Definitely. And so that's the main focus for at least the next several months or years. Totally makes sense. Um, and then what would be kind of your advice to say people building applications on top of Solana or just other uh, kind of comments on if people want to learn more about MEV more holistically? Um, yeah, I guess my advice would be like, please take MEV seriously. Um, I think that, uh, how do I say this? Like, I think there's room for improvement on like taking MEV seriously on Solana across mm -hmm. dApps. Um, so like, please be careful about the way that you design things and like keep it in mind when you first start, like we're seeing this with like teams like Drift and um, there's other teams that are reaching out to us that are like, hey, is this like sound? Is this a sound mechanism? Is this like exploitable by validators or MEV or whatnot? Mm -hmm. um, so I'd definitely say like, please be aware of that. Is there um, any way for kind of the Gito Labs team to abstract uh, those MEV complexities from like the application engineers or is it something that application engineers in your mind will just always have to kind of be thinking about in the back of their head? Um, we're certainly like re kind of researching areas on how we can help, but mm -hmm. uh, we can only do so much. Like, you know, validators can do whatever they want and I guess, uh, searchers can as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, the best way to prevent MEV is like through like sound application design. And like when that user signs that transaction, like make sure that they are not signing something that's going to expose them to unnecessary MEV. Yeah. It's like the front run example, uh, that I mentioned earlier or Orca, if you put your slippage like 10%, it's like, Hey, you might get front run like <laughs> yeah. that is. Uh, that's like the perfect example, like, you know, I see. just designing applications to kind of limit or prevent that as much as possible. Yeah. And like, you're starting to see applications do that better. Like, uh, Jupyter aggregators, like aggregators are amazing for reducing MEV. Mm -hmm. Um, things like Dflow, uh, are also yeah. great for yeah. reducing MEV. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, I think we kind of hit on a long list of things, but uh, is there anything <laughs> specifically uh, that we did not cover that you kind of wanted to uh, talk about or anything that I miss? Um, I guess one thing, like, uh, it's kind of like a little uh, sneak peek, but I guess when we started this company, we were like thinking about like what an MEV DAO would look like. Mm -hmm. So... 
uh stay tuned for more news on that nice coming in the next few weeks perfect um, looking forward to it yeah there's uh there's been some like really cool work that has been going on on that front so nice awesome well uh i everybody will definitely uh keep it, their eyes out for the <laughs> dow uh all the awesome things that uh will come with that but uh no really just appreciate your time again lucas uh, uh awesome to be able to break down some of these more complex topics with mev but ultimately uh what user benefits those provide and i think it i mean along with kind of just making the network more efficient, but by also kind of how it uh, incentivizes people to update their nodes and then ultimately being able to return some of that capital uh, back to stakers and that uh, MEV that you do capture. Um, it's, it's really fascinating and very exciting to follow along with. So thank you again for your time uh, and it was a pleasure.